Yes, we're going to talk about this one aspect of the flood of Noah, and that is the rainbow. And I certainly want to say that um, it's a wonderful thing to study together, to be able to examine and think the meaning, the purpose of the scriptures that the Lord has given to us. And I appreciate and am amazed that you allow me to be the leader of this part. But I know it's what God called me to do. And so we will together study and think about this phenomenon that we read about in Genesis chapter 9. I'd like to start just reading a verse or two in chapter 8 of Genesis And then read part of chapter 9. This is verse 18 in Genesis 8. So Noah came out together with his sons and wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So he came out. Then he worshipped, and then God replied, never again, will I, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. <clears throat> I'm encouraged when I read that promise. We, in our time are caught up with the global warming craze and uh, many, many different swings and moods of our planet, which probably have always been, but we don't, haven't lived long enough to take all that in. Anyway, it's a great concern. Will we have summer and winter, or will everything just merge into one endless stream of heat and so forth? Here we have a promise, a simple promise, and when we can't understand all of it, we can at least go back to this promise and say, well, the Lord knew about the 21st century and He knew about all the factors that would come into play. And He made, a, made us a promise that as long as the earth was here, there would be heat and cold. There would be seed time and harvest. Perhaps there will be changes and undulations, but as a whole, the schedule that God put the program that he put in place is going to continue. <clears throat> so that's a great sense of, of peace and confidence. In chapter 9, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, on every creature that moves on the ground, upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I have given, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So Noah was apparently sort of the first meat eater. Um, I'm not sure if he's the absolute first that ever ate meat, but given permission and given blessing of God to um, eat not simply plants, but a wider variety of things. But the Lord said, just be aware, while you can eat uh, meat, uh, the animals aren't going to just lay down on your table. 
In fact, they're going to run away when you try to hunt them. Verse 4, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. In other words, meat that's not butchered, meat that's not properly cared for as we would define it, Uh, raw meat, meat that's just simply uh, from killing an animal and and without uh, without any thought or care just begin to eat that meat. It says, um, he says, as for the lifeblood, you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood in it. As for your lifeblood, speaking of people, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, as God made man. This is the, I guess you would say, foundation of the idea of death penalty in, in many legal systems around the world, <clears throat> has been in the past. Verse 7, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase it. And then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you and every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. So there's the statement, the essence of this promise, this commitment, which he calls a covenant. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. Wow, that's pretty comforting just to know. I mean, we've had horrible, horrible floods that have destroyed many lives and much, much property. But it is amazing that there has never been a flood of this proportion since that day, just as this promise has said. God said, verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all life on the earth. We understand today the science of the rainbow. Even these little children knew. You know, you need water, you need sunshine. Our logical, science-saturated minds, even though we understand what makes rainbows happen, we're still impressed when we see one. And I think that's such an interesting phenomenon. I've had people call me up. Cindy has called me up and said, if I'm not at home, and say, you know, look to the north. Look, at, there's a beautiful rainbow. I want you to see it. Um, there's something about it. We want to take pictures of it. We want to make sure other people see it. We understand the formula. 
water and light, rain and sunshine. We understand raindrops and sunshine. We understand that. And yet, even though we understand this with our mind, it is hard not to feel impressed when we actually see spread out across the sky this magnificent spectrum of colors. I don't know, by the way, if you heard about the guy that stole the rainbow. They threw him into a prism. <laughs> I, I, understand, I understand it is a bit frustrating that we can never get to the end of the rainbow to get that pot of gold that uh, we've always been told that's there. But the reason is because the visibility um, is based on your orientation, of the orientation between the viewer and the source of light. And that's where it appears that it is to us. And of course, when we move, then that orientation changes and it moves. You can never get there. You never find the end of the rainbow. Earth, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but I have read this, that Earth is the only planet capable of having rainbows because Earth is the only planet in the whole system that has the consistent precipitation necessary and the direct sunlight necessary to actually produce rainbows. Um, of course, as I said to the kids, um, you, you, you realize, I know most people already know this, that it's actually a circle. It's not just the bow, it's the whole circle. But our vantage point enables us only to see part of it. In 2017, this is a world record, by the way, as far as is known, Chinese students and professors at the Chinese Cultural University in Taiwan, Taipei, in the city of Taipei, Taiwan, observed the same rainbow for nine hours. From seven in the morning until four in the afternoon, this one and same rainbow remained visible to them. Now, this school is way up in the mountains, so they had the advantage, I mean, they were up in elevation, so they had the advantage as the sun moved still to be able to trace this, uh, this same rainbow. No two people see the exact same rainbow because a rainbow doesn't have a stationary position. It looks so real to us that it's just right there. I remember, uh, is Tom Keeley here? Tom? Uh, yeah, Tom, do you remember, you remember taking a picture of a rainbow over the church here? He was so excited, he called me, I think, and sent me this picture. And it looked like it was coming right into the church steeple. And I don't know, it was what, two years ago maybe, or something like that? Oh, you got it? <laughs> Put it up on the screen if you can figure out how. Uh it's amazing. And it looked like, you know, from Tom's perspective, it just looked like that the rainbow was right above the church here and it was coming right down to the right down on the steeple. But in reality, a rainbow is simply an optical um what what's the word I want to say? It's it's an optical phenomenon. There is no location where that rainbow is. It's just a reflection. It's light. Where is you know, if I say, where is the light that I'm seeing here? Well, the light isn't any particular physical location. It's just uh, something that's visible to us through our optics. 
So the shape or the size of the bands or the location can be slightly different to the eye of the beholder, just even between any two people. If you're ever lucky to see enough, lucky enough to see a double rainbow, and this was the best picture I could find, but the time you get it blowed up up here, it's not very, it's not very good. I can see it on this monitor down here. You would have possibly noticed, if you ever see a double rainbow, that the colors are reversed. And I don't know if you can possibly tell it up on this one or not. But the reason that the colors are reversed on a double rainbow is that a double rainbow is not a double rainbow. A double rainbow is one single rainbow. It is the exact same water droplets reflecting the light, but it's from different angles. So, you know, there's refraction going on and there's reflection going on to make, to make a rainbow. The first rainbow is a reflection to the earth, but the second one is a reflection of that one on other rain, raindrops in the clouds. You can look this up and I'm sure find a much more a scientific explanation, but uh, a rainbow, a double rainbow, is, a, is the first rainbow reflected back. That's why the red and the orange and the yellow over here are re completely reversed over here. It's not a different phenomenon, it's just the same thing reflected back in a different, from a different uh, place. So, uh, the rainbows are amazing to us and a lot of stories and a lot of songs and a lot of legends, a lot of paintings and pictures and everything inspired by the rainbows. The Greeks in their mythology claimed that one of the gods, I think it was Iris, uh, constructed the rainbow as a bridge between heaven and earth. But I want to mention this one thing because to me it's too fascinating to overlook and it's too it's too profound not to pay attention to or to, to feel like that this is something the Scripture is communicating to us. I asked the kids what shape a rainbow was. It is a bow. A bow is simply something that is bent. You can use arch, you can use all kinds of other words, but it's it's the shape of something of, of a flat line that has been stretched and put in tension and bent. And you know that the bow has always been from its invention, who knows when or where, the bow has always been a weapon of war. The bow has always been a spokesman and symbol of death. Uh, whether it's death to the rabbit that the Indian was hunting with his bow and arrow, or whether it's an archer in battle in the ancient days, killing another person as a soldier, kills an enemy. The bow is a weapon. It's not a symbolism that makes you feel good. However, I believe that this is very significant that God chose this symbol as a symbol of peace, as a symbol of restraint, as a symbol of anger being finished. And, I, and, and He is, in essence, saying, look, up here, I'm going to hang up my bow. You will know that I will never be this mad again. I will never repeat such a, such a vicious act again as to destroy everybody in this way, in this way, 
And you can look up and see my bow hanging on the wall as a sign, uh, as, a, as a symbol of the fact that my anger has been drained away by this horrific flood that I've sent on the earth. Um, the reason I say that is that simply this, the Hebrew language has no word for rainbow. Any translations, including this, this one that I just read to you, the NIV, that uses the word rainbow is simply projecting it because they understand he is referring to what we call the rainbow. But the Hebrews had no word for that. He just, they simply had the word in their vocabulary for bow. Uh, the King James Version, some older translations, translate it literally, I have set my bow in the clouds. Not rainbow, just bow, referring to not only the rainbow, but the shape. The shape of a bow. And so, I'm simply trying to say here, without going too far sideways, that that this image is part of the message of what we should receive from the rainbow. That, that God's war is finished in, that, in that, part, that part of it. Now, God said at the end of chapter 8, I know that people are still going to do evil. Even though I cleanse the earth and I'm starting over, I know it's the inclination of their hearts to do evil. That's from the fall of Adam and Eve. And so the Lord knew that His anger itself would have to be expressed again. But the rainbow marked a transition to a different way of dealing with it. And there's a different expression. There would be a different expression of God's anger. Um, I have been asked, and I'm no authority on this stuff, but I've been asked before where we're, if the rainbow was sent by God, was, was, was given by God to give this message, did the rainbows exist prior to this? In other words, between Adam and Noah, when it rained, whereas the bow in the clouds would you see the refraction of water? My personal belief is, yes, absolutely. It's just a phenomenon that's there. God put it into the world. So when he said, I've set my bow in the cloud, he wasn't saying just in this moment I put a rainbow here. Light never was reflected by water before. I don't think God was saying that at all. I think he was saying, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something. You know, the bow that's in the clouds that I set there way back in creation, the ability of light to refract, or of water to reflect light into its, its component colors, you know that bow? Well, I'm going to give it a whole new meaning and a whole new uh, message. And that is that you can look at it and you can see the bow is hanging up on the wall, just like you know the old musket was over the doorway. It's not, it's not breaking over the earth. It's hung up, and my anger will be restrained. I, I, I notice a, I use the, t the title to this sermon, Restrained Bow. I know that's a weird-sounding phrase. I simply notice when I use the word rest with rain that it made the word restrain, that it... it God was resting from the rain, but he was also resting from the anger that brought the rain. And so the rest of the rain became, in English, it becomes the word restrain. And that's exactly what God is expressing through the rainbow. I'm still going to have anger against sin, but it's going to be restrained. 
I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go this far again. And so the rainbow expresses that. The Lord specifically said in what we read earlier that this is also for us today as well as for that day and, and Noah and his family. That this is a sign between God and all of life and a sign for all generations that we can remember and, and, and understand. Many people today would, would absolutely think this is ludicrous, that you could look at a rainbow and believe that the Lord is speaking in a, a message. But this is what the Scripture teaches us and tells us, that it is a covenant, and as long as people are around on this planet, we are to be reminded of that covenant. It seems to me that the rainbow preceded the Old Testament sacrifices in, and paved the way for them by saying something very similar. The rainbow was saying, I will still be upset and angry and I will at sin, but I'm going to be able to hold it together because I've shifted to a different strategy of how to deal with sin. These are, this is what the Old Testament sacrifices said. You know, when men and women had to bring the lamb or a, 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 a pigeon or a dove, or they had to bring a, a heifer to slaughter for sacrifices, there's two things that, that that's saying to them. It's saying God isn't pleased with the wrong and the sin. When you, know, when you spoke harshly with your wife when you shouldn't have, or when you did something behind, behind someone's back and was deceptive, or you stole something, or you mistreated somebody, you lied to someone, God isn't pleased with that. And there's blood has to be shed to, to pacify His wrath. However, so, so the, the sacrifice itself revealed and reminded people of God's wrath against sin. However, the fact that they could bring the sacrifice and not be destroyed by God shows that he, his wrath was being restricted. And so this is what the sacrifices were pointing out. And this is what the rainbow was communicating to them. And so the sacrifices were pointing towards something just as the rainbow was pointing towards something. And that is not that God would never send a flood of wrath again, but rather that it would be restrained from all people and poured out on one. This is the message that the, that the Scripture gives to us. That all of the wrath against all of us was being transferred to our one substitute. And we know who that is. Here's some verses from Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. I know you've read them many times, but when you read this, this seems to me like there's no rainbow promise in here for Jesus. This is re re describing Jesus who would come. And it says that, you know, when you think about the fountains of the earth breaking open and the waters are pouring down from the heavens and, and this rising water that just wiped out everything, and you read about how Jesus was going to be marred and disfigured and despised and rejected and stricken and smitten and pierced and crushed and oppressed and afflicted and judged and cut off, you just feel like, man, the water rises, rises, rises until he's gone. This is, is like an unending flood of fury that is poured out on this one substitute for us. And so we get to have a promise of restraint 
because God was deferring it and transferring it, our, the wrath that was meant for us, to Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. It's the story of the rainbow. It's the, uh, it's, it's the, the meaning that God was reminding us. I'm not going to treat you like I treated Christ. He was cut off. But He did that for you. And so you through Him can find forgiveness and you can find relief. I want to just mention two things that seem to me that we can take from this amazing phenomenon that we call the rainbow. You may think of many more. But it seems to me, because it is a symbol of God's restraint, it's a reminder that He's not just going to lose it. And He's not going to just boil up in anger someday and, and start raining and never stop. It's a reminder to me, I mean, a symbol that, of, of hope. That, that God was doing something in a different way. That the judgment was shifted away from me onto Jesus. And, and this is, again, this is the message that the New Testament gives to us. That He bore our sins, that He was our substitute. And so, there's, there's just a, a, a sense of great hope in which I can look at that rainbow when I see it and I can realize that um, there's a there's a there's a there's a, a strategy at play and that it's 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 for my salvation it's for my blessing it's for for my forgiveness I can see that in that promise of no more un ending unmitigated wrath upon you, David. But upon someone else in your place, yes. It's transferred to someone else. That's because God doesn't want to destroy us. It's not His will that any should perish. And so the, the lack of the promise of no more universal flood is a promise that says, God's still interested in us as people. He still loves us. He's not given up on us and He never will. That's a characteristic of God. He doesn't start something and not finish. He came close, but when He found Noah, He said, you know, there's a way I can deal with the sin of man and I can save the human race. With this one man, I can do that. And of course, this one man was a reference or, or a, a symbol of this other one man who would come, Jesus Christ. So, when you look at the rainbow, you can just say, wow, the very fact that God won't do again what He did in the past it is, is pretty phenomenal. He has not given up on us as human beings. Uh, I, I just also want to mention this. It seems to me that the beauty of the colors of which scientists tell us there are more but we, with our limited visual capacity, can only pick up a certain range of wavelengths of light. It seems to me that we look at that and we see these vivid, beautiful colors, and we just have to say, wow, what a complex, exquisite, beautiful mind that runs our universe. What a powerful 
thoughtful, creative God that could blend together all these different colors in all these different ways. And if we didn't have the rainbow, or if we had not discovered a prism as a human beings, we wouldn't even realize all that stuff's packed in there. We wouldn't even know or perhaps understand that all of the beauty of Roy G. Biv, that's what I was taught in preschool. Anybody else here with the Roy G. Biv? All right. I don't know what, I'm sure you have come up with some others, but all of that beauty that's packed together in there, we'd never even know it if it wasn't broken up into its component parts by the water droplets in the atmosphere. How, how much variety does God have available? How much complexity does He have packed into certain little packages, including us as human beings? God is infinite. And there are many scriptures, there are not many, there are a few scriptures that describe the being of God and the person of God and the uh, an image that was revealed somehow or other where somebody got a vision of God as having all the colors of the rainbow. Ezekiel, you remember when he saw this moving uh, vehicle that he said had wheels and it had wheels inside of wheels and it just... He, could, he was just trying to describe it, and he, and he described it, part of it as being, um, as, as the floor of it just being like it was filled with rainbows. Well, that's pretty vivid. I mean, we're just, you know, we just realize, wow, <laughs> i never seen anything look quite like that. We paint our stuff some one flat color, or we might combine two or, color, two or three colors in a print, and we say, well, that's beautiful. But God can be wildly creative. And the colors that we see in a rainbow um, are, are simply signals. Uh, they're simply, they're just photons of light, but they're, um, they're descriptions to us of how amazingly complex and creative our God is. He is infinite. And no doubt, someday, when we're past all the limits of this earth, we will, we will take in types of creativity that we would take our breath away today if we could imagine. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, no eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard and no brain has ever fully dealt with what God has prepared. I look at a rainbow and I say, wow. What's, what's, what's next? What more is there in store for, uh, for those of us who will be able to be in the presence of the God who can have something that we call light, but it's really all kinds of wavelengths together. And we're told this, and I've mentioned this only for this one reason. In the New Testament, Ephesians 3, verse 10, there's a word in the Greek text. There's only, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Um, some similar words are used, but this is the only instance of this word, and it means multicolors. Um, it could also be translated many ver varieties or many layers. It's just a little bit of a weird word, but it is often, it is, it is a word that is used of colors. And it says in Ephesians 3.10, That God has determined that His wisdom will be made known 
through the multicolors of the church. Please read that verse. Your, your, term, your, your Bible may use the word manifold instead of many colored. Manifold doesn't have a lot of meaning to us, but we know that it's a complex word. A manifold is something that is many components. When I look just in this small room, at this small group, at you and I, at you and I today, I see every variety imaginable. And there's a lot more out there. But it's not just a variety within a church family. Think of the variety of churches themselves around the world, of Christian communities. Think of the variety of styles of worship. Think of the variety of songs, the variety of types of music. Think of the variety of types of things that people do in worship. But, but that's just a drop in the bucket. Think of the variety of Christians at work, in the society, at, at jobs, when you're driving a bus, when you're in your car, when you're um, at your job, when you're on vacation. In all these places where you and I are out here with our purple and pink and, and, and orange and yellow and green, We're, we may just be one little stripe, part of a stripe of a color. But in all of it together, the many-colored wisdom of God is made visible to the people, to the, to the beings who are looking on in the spirit world. That's what the verse says. That to the spiritual beings, and I'm, re, I'm, I'm thinking it's talking about the demonic world and the angelic world, and they look on and they say, well, I never thought that one person could die for somebody else. I would have never thought that one person's death could change and rearrange another person's life. But I see it. My goodness, I see it. And I look at, I look at David, I look at this person, I look at that person, and, and I just I look on and I say, how amazing that God in His wisdom could have taken this little stripe of red, this person here, and used them in such a powerful way. The church, all of us together, present a, a variegated view, uh, colors, variegated witness to the world. And it's part, of, it's part of God's wisdom. So that says to me that when I look at the rainbow, I say, God is amazing and beautiful and quite complicated far beyond what I would have ever been able to uh, envision. And I'm so glad that he told me. I could look at a rainbow and I could understand the scientifics of it, but I would never have put the message with it if he hadn't told Noah, if he hadn't given Noah this, this bump and said, Noah, every time you see this, you just realize this is a promise from me. And it's a promise of restraint of my wrath, not the end of my wrath, but I'm going to pour it out elsewhere now. I'm shifting strategy. And you can see and remember that when you look at the rainbow. God is